So let's come to those ancient words as we find them in the book of Numbers. If you're following in the Pew Bibles, it's page 133, Numbers chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5, and then we're going a little bit into verse 44. So let's hear God's Word, Numbers chapter 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. He said, take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name one by one. You and Aaron are to number by their divisions all the men in Israel, 20 years old or more who are able to serve in the army. One man from each tribe, each the head of his family, is to help you. And these are the names of the men who are to assist you. And then we have the names of the, uh, the different tribes from Reuben, from Simeon, from Judah, from Issachar, from Zebulun, and then the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, from Benjamin, from Dan, from Asher, from Gad, and from Naphtali. So each tribe is counted by name. And then in verse 44, it says, These were the men counted by Moses and Aaron and the twelve leaders of Israel, each one representing his family. All the Israelites, twenty years old or more, who were able to serve in Israel's army were counted according to their families. The total number was 603,550. The families of the tribe of Levi, however, were not counted along with the others. The Lord had said to Moses, you must not count the tribe of Levi or include them in the census of the other Israelites. Instead, appoint the Levites to be in charge of the tabernacle of the testimony over all its furnishings and everything belonging to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They are to take care of it and encamp around it. Whenever the tabernacle is to move, the Levites are to take it down. And whenever the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall do it. Anyone else who goes near it shall be put to death. The Israelites are to set up their tents by divisions, each man in his own camp under his own standard. The Levites, however, are to set up their tents around the tabernacle of the testimony so that wrath will not fall on the Israelite community. The Levites are to be responsible for the care of the tabernacle of the testimony. The Israelites did all this just as the Lord commanded Moses. Let's just pray. Lord, as we open ourselves up to this ancient word, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take it and apply it to our lives here today in our culture, in our context, in our world. Open our ears to hear. Soften our hearts to apply, and then give us hard feet 
to be obedient. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm sure if I was to take a survey of the congregation in terms of your favorite book in the Bible, I wonder if anybody would say Numbers. In fact, even if I was to say, what is your favorite book in the Old Testament, I would doubt if anybody would say Numbers. when I shared with the staff and the elders that this was the book I felt led to preach on, as I say, there were a few eyebrows raised, people wondering what this was going to be like. The title seems daunting, especially if, like me, you're not good with numbers or you're not good with maths. And it also contains some long lists of names and clans of Israel, and in fact, we have jumped over them today to make it more palatable. So this book is a, yes, it's maybe one that we have avoided. The book has had various titles. The English uh, title has come to us through the Septuagint. The Septuagint was uh, a translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek. And whenever they were translating it, they saw that in a couple of places there uh, there was a census and a lot of numbers are mentioned. So they thought, let's call the book Numbers. And uh, because they wanted to highlight the importance of the the two censuses that were taken. Now, of course, a census is an important thing. Uh, Last week in the news, the Northern Ireland census hit the headlines as people were taking the statistics and saying, you know, this is going to mean this, this is going to mean this, and so on. So statistics are important. They can tell us things, but we can also bring a little bit of a a twist or a spin uh, to statistics to make them say what we want them to say. But I always say facts are your friends. And and the Lord here is asking Moses, first of all, to find out, you know, how does the land lie? As as we're about to head into the promised land and we need a fighting force, how many are there? How many fighting men are there over the age of 20? Israel has been moving out of captivity. Uh, Egypt was about a year behind them. They had been out of Egypt a year or so. They were heading towards the promised land. So, numbers are going to be important. But if the English title is Numbers, the Hebrew title is different. The Hebrew title of this book is In the Desert from the the fifth Hebrew word of verse 1. And perhaps In the Desert gives a better indication of the contents of this book because it it describes almost 39 years of wandering in the desert. It is a mixture of story and law-giving and narrative. It begins with Israel having just escaped the captivity of Egypt. They're grouped together in Sinai. And in Exodus and Leviticus, a lot of which certainly Leviticus is set around Mount Sinai, uh, what's happening is that God is giving the laws to His people. His people have entered into a covenant, just like a marriage. They've entered into a covenant God says to them, you will be my children, you will be my people. Israel says, Lord, you will be our God. Above all other gods, you will be our God. And the books of Exodus and Leviticus are are shaping the covenant relationship of what it looks like and of what pleases God and what displeases God and how, how we get in right terms with Him. But as we move into Numbers, it is the story of how the relationship, the covenant starts to go wrong. And therefore, in Numbers, we will come across some quite 
harrowing and, and almost depressing stories where Israel will be grumbling, pushing against Moses, pushing against God's leaders, and looking backwards to Egypt and, and looking back through rose-tinted spectacles and saying, oh, wasn't Egypt lovely? And there we had so many varieties of food, but they forgot they were captives, they were slaves. And so as God tries to lead them towards this land of milk and honey, He has lessons to teach them through this book. So why preach on numbers? Let, let me give you three or four reasons why we are going through this book uh, through the autumn. The first thing to say is that it's in the Bible. And the Bible tells us that all Scripture is profitable. Yes, even numbers. Yes, even the difficult bits. All Scripture is profitable. It's valuable for rebuking, encouraging, training in righteousness. Jesus referred to the book of Numbers and incidents in it. The Apostle Paul referred to it quite a number of times and the lessons that it gave the early church. They did not avoid the hard bits of the Old Testament. The second reason why we're going to be looking at Numbers is because as I have taken time aside, as knowing we're coming into the autumn, asking the Lord, you know, what, what should we preach on? What, what do we need to be looking at in High Kirk? I, I felt very strongly led to this book. I felt the Spirit saying, no, this is for this season. I want you to preach through Numbers. And then the third reason uh, why we're going to do this book, as, as in many books of the Bible, is because it's so relevant to this cultural moment. If we take the title, the Hebrew title, In the Wilderness, and I've changed it slightly in this series to, to Through the Desert or Through the Wilderness, I want us to see as we go through this series that we're living in a wilderness moment, that we're living in a cultural desert, and that we have the hope and the light and the life of Jesus as we move through this desert. We are living in very uncertain days. Every week seems to bring strange news, laying aside, you know, even the death of our queen, and that has disconcerted many of us. We are living in days of great uncertainty and great temptation. The financial markets are unstable. Inflation is rising. Ener energy prices are going through the roof. We have a war in Europe, and certainly for the first time in my living memory, people are, are talking about the possibility of nuclear warfare. I've, I've just never heard language like that before. And the great institutions and building blocks of society are shaking from family, to education, to religion, to government, and there are few certainties anymore. Our morality seems to be changing, and in fact, the Bible seems no longer, certainly in the West, to be looked to as a moral compass, and the church is pretty much ignored. So it is a desert. The Apostle Paul saw numbers as relevant at a time when the young church was living in a pagan, confused time. Jesus saw numbers as relevant to a world which was saturated in sin and which needed a savior. One commentator says this, spiritual and moral pollution is just as devastating as physical contamination or ritual defilement. Sinful people need the miracle of atonement, and in this book it is vividly portrayed, and we will see 
that one better than Moses is here. Our culture does not see sin as a problem. Other people's sin maybe, but not my sin. Raymond Brown in his commentary on Numbers says this, unhappily, our generation is increasingly less sensitive to sin. Guilt belongs to a redundant vocabulary. One of Umberto Eco's fictional characters gives expression to contemporary uh, skepticism. His character says this, if belief is necessary, let it be in a religion that doesn't make you feel guilty, like a, a novel, not like a theology. So we are walking through a desert, a desert where many of the foundations are crumbling, many of the old certainties are shaking. In the words of Isaiah the prophet, justice is driven back, righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets, and honesty cannot enter. In Isaiah 5, the prophet says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. The book of Numbers confronts us with the seriousness of our sin and the necessity of obeying God and where He leads. It was said even of Jesus, He learned obedience. And one of the great lessons and themes of Numbers is learning obedience. God was willing even to punish and chastise and discipline His people to help them to learn obedience. Sometimes people ask the question, why does God seem so hard on Israel in numbers? And someone has said, it's because they are now in the marriage. They now need to learn how to obey God and love God and follow God. On a wedding day, there's a lot of fuss and attention paid to the day itself. And it's an important day because you make the vows. But after the wedding comes the marriage, the day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, loving of your spouse. And whenever Israel pledged to forsake all others and to follow God, God is holding them to it. So often they would look back to Egypt and the slavery and the bondage of Egypt or so often they would become distracted by the gods of the nations and seek to worship them. God uses this marriage language as He's talking to Israel so that idolatry is very similar to adultery. He wants them to be faithful to Him. But as we will see in this book, there is disobedience, there is grumbling, but God wants to keep running after them and loving them. And law is important. Our generation tends to see law and love as against one another, but they are linked together. God loved His people, but then He demarcated the boundaries of what that love looked like, of how they could approach Him, and how they would pay for their sin, and how they could lead other nations towards light and life. The law is not against love. It shows how they can flourish as a people. 
So we, I believe, are in a wilderness desert moment in our culture. We are faced with the shaking of foundations, the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we are also walking through a desert in terms of the lack of commitment. Raymond Brown says, ours is a strangely insular society, seriously lacking those strong and dependable relationships characteristic of earlier generations. Work is no longer the secure social environment it used to be for our parents and grandparents. People's lives have become more insular and introverted. It is estimated that 60% of British people do not belong to anything. They do not belong to any institution. They do not give their allegiance. And we are find, finding this amongst Christians as well, where allegiance to the local church is marginalized. The message of numbers is of striking relevance with its assurance that we are greatly valued and we are made for community. We are made for one another. So we are going to journey through the desert with the children of Israel through numbers. We will see many parallels between the culture of the 13th century BC and the 21st century AD. And my hope is that you will come week by week with anticipation, wanting to know what God is going to say to us as a congregation through this part of Scripture, that we'll come excited, that we'll pray, we'll say, Lord, speak to me through this Word, because this is a loving, living, speaking God. Now, that's the introduction. Okay, we're not going to do the sermon, but you'd be glad to hear I have only one point, and it's based on verse 1, and it's the first few words, the Lord spoke, because I believe that the Lord speaks today. And, and I take it that you are here because you believe that the Lord speaks today. Over 150 times in this book, it says the Lord spoke or the Lord speaks. I imagine as Moses entered that tent of meeting each morning, he thought to himself, maybe with a bit of trepidation, I wonder what the Lord is going to say to me today. But he had that anticipation. He had that sense of wonder. He had that sense of intimacy even. Now, of course, a lot of water has gone under the bridge. A lot has happened between Moses' day and our day. We've had the coming of Jesus Christ. We've had the, 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 the finalization and the completion of the canon of Scripture. In the Old Testament, a lot of the speaking that the Lord did was through leaders or kings like Moses. It was through the priests and through the prophets. The Lord spoke through prophets, priests, and kings. They didn't have the canon of Scripture that we have for, for, for many years. And they often needed an intermediary, someone between God and them who would hear from God and then speak God's Word to God's people. But we, we under the New Covenant, the New Testament, we are now in the place, if you like, of Moses. 
We can now enter the tent of meeting, and we can listen to the Lord for ourselves. Huge difference from the Old Testament because of the coming of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the completion of Scripture. The intimacy that Moses enjoyed is now ours. We can now enter the tent of meeting. We can now hear the Lord speak. I wonder, do you often ask yourself or think to yourself, I wish the Lord would speak to me. I wish the Lord would speak to me like He spoke to Elijah, like He spoke to David, like He spoke to Moses. But you know, the Lord maybe is speaking to you, but you're not hearing Him because you're too distracted. And whenever we enter and, and intentionally create a tent of meeting, we will be surprised at how often the Lord speaks and what He is saying. Now, we can enter this tent of meeting both privately and publicly. Let's, like, let's think, first of all, of the private tent of meeting. When I was a, a younger Christian uh, in my teens, came to faith, went through university and so on, got involved in, in beach missions and um, things like that, and, and there was always a very high priority placed on the quiet time, which was the daily time with the Lord, if possible in the morning, but, but certainly at some point during the day to take that time to read a bit of, your word, bit of God's Word, to pray and to ask the Lord, what, what are you saying to me? Sadly, tragically, Many people today think that they can hear from God without having a quiet time. They think they can go through life and the Lord will speak to them. Now, He might, but it will be rare. But He's longing to speak to us through His precious Word. If we take time to take out His Word, to read it through systematically, you will be surprised at how often the Lord is speaking to you, just as He spoke to Moses. Mark Batterson says, the Bible was not meant to be read through, it was meant to be prayed through. We are cultivating a Christianity that is a mile wide and only an inch deep if we are not making daily time to prayerfully read God's Word. This is to go into the tent of meeting, just like Moses, and what an exciting place that is. I want to hear the voice of God. I want to shape my agenda around the Lord. And the best way to do that is day by day to seek His face, to read His Word, and to listen in prayer. So a good action point out of today, good application point, if you are not used to having a daily quiet time, is to say, Lord, I want to be serious about hearing from You in this season. Get yourself some daily Bible reading notes, get yourself a Bible, and make a covenant with God to say, Lord, I want to hear Your voice. I'm going to commit to reading Your Word, a little bit of Your Word, every single day. And you will see the difference. John Wesley once said, at any price, give me the book of God. Let me be homo unius libri, a, a person, a man of a single book. 
sometimes people wonder why I, I, I prefer folks to read the old-fashioned Bible instead of reading it off your phone. Because when you read it off your phone, unless you have disconnected from the internet, you'll get notifications, you'll get Facebook things coming in, you'll have Instagram posts, you'll have anything and everything coming in to distract you from listening to the Word of God. So get an old-fashioned Bible, open it, blow the dust off it, and start to read it. And it will be manna for your soul. Can I encourage you, if you do have time, to, to, to also read, maybe as a companion, Pete Gregg's terrific book, How to Hear from God. Wonderful book. And in that book, he, he again upholds the essential point that you need to hear from God through His Word. That's the primary way through which you hear God's Word. It has an authority. So do that. That's a good, that's the best application point out of this sermon today, is to commit to the daily reading of God's Word. Get into that private tent of meeting. And then the second commitment is to get into the public tent of meeting, which is the gathered worship, gathered public worship. Because here at the center of our public worship, we have the public reading of Scripture, we have the exposition and the explanation of that Word, and we also have the work of the Holy Spirit. He, he works with us privately, but, but even more so as we are gathered as the saints, the Holy Spirit is brooding over this place. It becomes a thin place, and He starts to speak through people to us, through prayer ministry, through words of knowledge, through encouragement, and a whole different dynamic takes place. And that is why Hebrews says, do not neglect the public meeting together. It is a tent of meeting. And so as we do numbers and go through numbers, we are entering into the meeting place, the tent of meeting privately and publicly. And it was through the private meeting place that the Lord said to me, go through numbers. And it was whenever I went to another public meeting of God's people, I heard God say, go through numbers. So that's why we're doing numbers. And the final thing I want to say this morning is that the Lord often speaks in the desert. Yes, the desert is a hard place. The desert is a place where the devil is very much rampant. It's the place of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and many, many temptations. But in the desert is also the place where God can speak most powerfully if we are listening to Him. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, He was led into the desert. And sometimes we think of Jesus in the desert being in the place of weakness. He was fasting and so on. But He was also in the place of strength because He was in the place of focus on God. And so whenever the devil came and tempted him in the desert, he was in a place of strength. The Apostle Paul, and you miss this so easily, I think it's in Galatians he refers to it, but the Apostle Paul, before he began his public ministry, he separated himself and the Lord led him into the desert. And it was in the desert he did work with God, he did business with God, and it made him what he was, 
Jesus spent time in the desert. Paul spent time in the desert. Moses and the children of Israel spent time in the desert. And it was also a shaping and a strengthening place. We are living in, yes, a bit of a desert culture at the minute, a very... uh, a culture that is lacking in creativity. Uh, you know, I mean, increasingly as we watch our TV screens and read modern books and so on, we're full of repeats and there seems to be a lack of creativity and everything seems to descend to the lowest common denominator of sex and bad language. And you feel sullied and, de- and depressed and distressed by the whole experience. You know, I think God is, is leaving the building But if we seek him, actively seek the Lord, I believe we will hear him speak. He will speak creatively. He will speak a living voice, an imaginative voice, a holy voice. He will speak even through the desert if we are willing to to listen to him. So I pray as we go through this series that we will come out of it stronger, that we will hear the voice of God speaking to us as a church and as individuals. But we have to be listening. We have to be listening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, a living word, an active word, a saving word. But so often we walk through this world and it's as if our ears are are stuffed with cotton wool and we're not hearing you properly, and we're too distracted by anything and everything that this world offers, but we want the best thing. We want to hear the voice of God. And so we present ourselves before you, Lord. We turn away from the bondage of the world, the bondage of Egypt, and we want to live in the freedom of what it means to be a child of God. For our good and for your glory, we pray. Amen.